Welcome to the Organic Slang Show. I'm recording. Ben, do you when you do a podcast, do yes. you edit it? Uh, do, do I personally edit it? Does somebody edit it? Somebody does edit it, but certainly not me. I would have no idea how to edit anything. Well, I'm going to warn you, I never edit the podcast. It's better. That's you better can, that way. You can curse. You can say anything you want. Okay, good. Today on the show, you obviously know from the title, can we call? Can we talk watches? Can we call it talk? We can't. I think we can. We can. it's okay. I came across you through a friend of mine who got me into watches, my Eskimo, if you will. Sure. And... Uh, I, I, I some is 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 it a cop out for me to ask you what I ask everybody at the beginning of the podcast is you're in an elevator someone mm-hmm. says what do you do how, how do you answer that question that's a really difficult question for me uh like like highly complicated question for me uh, because at the core of it like we're content producers I am a content producer or or was uh, now I'm the chief executive officer of a 50 plus person company in located in downtown New York. Uh, but ultimately I started out as a blogger. Like I started out as like a guy that just loved things, loved watches basically. You know, my grandfather gave me my first watch when I was 16 and I then went into like management consulting and finance, like average white guy stuff and hated it. And, uh, was at UBS in 2008 when the financial crisis hit. And my, my boss was just like, Hey dude, like, you know, we're not going to let you go because we like you and we know that things will pick back up. So just come in and and bide your time uh but just don't get in trouble you know like don't do any drugs don't do anything stupid don't kill anybody like just just be here so i did that and uh i was so bored at work i started writing about my grandfather's watch uh on tumblr back then and then i started writing about other watches rolexes Stephen queen's watch whatever uh and then started writing for uh gq for the ft for for places like that applied to journalism school somehow got into one i uh, did a master's degree in journalism and then kind of went off to the races with hodinky which is where i still am today uh and so basically what we do now is we are a full-fledged media company we have uh the dot com we have a youtube channel we have a podcast we have a print magazine believe it or not uh which actually makes money which is shocking to most but that's true. incredible thank you uh and then we have uh we're a commerce business as well so you know we've been making our own line of straps and accessories for about six years since 2012 and that used to be me and steven the gentleman you just met i mean literally stuffing envelopes on my apartment floor like truly uh and now we probably do 30 to 40 excuse me 30 to forty thousand straps per year um which is pretty wild that's a lot of risks it's a lot of risks it's a lot of risks and a lot of leather uh and then we are also one of three authorized retailers for watches on the internet uh which is something that most people don't really understand because like if the average person googles say like rolex Amer, like a pretty common watch you're going to see a number of places that offer this watch for sale but in actuality none of those in the rolex in rolex's case are authorized in any way so it's like imagine like you buying a bmw from say like bmw of manhattan which is here on 57th street like that is an authorized bmw dealer but if you go to some you know kind of sketchball down the road in queens that has a used <laughs> bmw like that that's not an authorized dealer that's a different right. thing so there's no warranty there's it's basically the same model for watches so there are three pure player authorized dealers for watches watches in the English-speaking language, and we are one of them. The other one, the other two would be Farfetch, which is a giant company, and Net a Porter or Mr. Porter, which which I'm sure you know. Sure, sure. Um, so we're in this unique unique little spot of just guys that really love watches and kind of like handmade things. And uh, that is not an elevator pitch. That's like, you know, that's like a, whole, a journey pitch, you know, a cross-country journey pitch, but that's what we do. I, I really like that because, you know, when I... Well, there's two take... Well, first of all, William, I know you're in the car in Germany somewhere driving to work to do surgery. I appreciate your letter the other day. But if you are wondering why Ben's on the pod, it's because you love golf. I do. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. But the reason why I love asking that question to people is because I hear things that I wouldn't have never, I wouldn't have even known to ask you. Sure. Research wouldn't have given me the information to know that you were stuffing envelopes with, with, with watch bands. Correct. And 
I showed up here. Can I? Uh, I'm going to ask you this. Well, I, I, I have. I, it was so cool for me to walk up to the front door. First of all, I used to live a block away. That's what you mentioned. That's wild. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, a part of my life that I don't reflect on very much. It was a while ago, <laughs> but um, I, I shot this great video of my feet walking up to the buzzer and where it says Hodinky. I felt like it was. It, it's probably a, a lot of people feel like it's a pilgrimage in some sense. It's it's a pretty neat thing for a lot of guys. Can yeah. I can I post that or is that yeah, going to reveal course. the address no, and doesn't, then doesn't matter at all. All you're... all the expensive stuff is is hidden away somewhere. <laughs> but that's actually true for the record. Yeah. I didn't even think of <laughs> yeah. I didn't even think of theft. I just yeah. thought of fans. So we we have you know we we get people that kind of post up outside when they find out where we are. But I mean more than that, we have a separate entrance and a separate location for inventory. I right. You. So we're an authorized dealer for watches, which means we have probably maybe I won't say how much, but we've got a lot of watches just sitting around. Uh, I mean, wow. it's crazy stuff. I just um, made a I made a number with my fingers, and it was more. Yeah. So I mean, it's there, there's some heavy goods here, you know. Uh, so we don't talk <laughs> about that. And again, it, it's not even in this. Believe it or not, it's it's not even in this building. I it's, believe it's that. in the neighborhood, but it's not in the building. So well, the the, the interesting thing too is that you talked about fifty person media company, right? Yeah. And so so I walk in the door here, and to give you guys a lay of the land, which I like to do on the podcast, I walk in, and first of all. We are um, one floor below APC, correct? Which I found out because I—is I, it a walk-up or is there an elevator? There is an elevator. Yep, right I, on the street. There's an elevator. I just skipped it. That's cool. I yeah. said, I said fifth floor walk-up. Let's go, we and then I realized step. it was actually the fourth floor. Yep. APC, you know, a great, uh, a great clothing brand. Which you know, anyway, um, you uh, you walk into this office and and it's this kind of it's an image of what. A cool company is. No, really. <laughs> That's very kind. We've got that Danish furniture. We've got we the, sure do. All, all of the wood and leather is this kind of like uh, caramel blonde, which seems to have been clearly uh, curated. Perhaps, say that. perhaps yeah. by you. Maybe? Uh, I, I was involved for sure. Uh, we've got some great folks that, that helped us with it for sure. It's all vintage, uh, of course. Let's just jump into style. Have yeah. you always had style? Because you clearly do. I'm, I the socks and I, you've got <laughs> these socks were were a gift from somebody. I'm, I'm not a sock guy. I'm not like a funny sock guy. I actually am like kind of like morally opposed to people that really take their socks seriously. Uh, but I do like I do like nice things, and and I would say that that I have a certain style for sure. I mean, I see the the Ralph teddy bear on on your sweater, and I'm a, a diehard fan of Ralph, obviously. Um, you know, I, I, I like a certain look, like a certain aesthetic for sure. In this office, it is very mid-century and a lot of the stuff we sourced from all over uh, when we were designing it. Uh, we have a retail space coming early next year that will be in this in this style, but a little bit more kind of progressive. Uh, but yeah, I mean, style is an important thing uh, to me for sure. Uh, I'm going to paint a picture of you really quick. So we've got uh, green. Are those suede? They, they are. Yeah, they're suede-like material. Suede-like uh, Air Max. Um, I'm assuming they are reissue. Something like that. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, navy blue with white polka dot socks, which I, I'm, I'm also not a big funny sock guy. <laughs> yeah. But those are socks I like. Thank you, sir. And then typically an all khaki outfit, which for me is the way a man should dress. If, if Hemingway were alive, he would give you a thumbs up. Well, I appreciate that. Don't I you think? I, I, I do. And so, you know, I'm, I'm traveling later today. So I'm wearing this thing, which is, you know, it's basically like it's a swag cape. It's not a jacket. It's not a sweater. You know, there's no seam in the back. So it's really not a jacket. And it's basically just like a sleeping bag, like a cashmere sleeping bag. It's a blazer for me, it, okay, but it's it, not a blazer for you. So for me, it's not like a blazer to me has like structure. Right. You know, this has no, like if I took this off, it would just be like a ball. Is it fleece? Uh, Do you mind? It's cashmere. I just got sun, (laughs) (laughs) but it's there. There are a few things in life that I think are really worth kind of spending on, and I think like outerwear is one of them because first of all, you're touching it all the time. 
uh, when you travel, which I do often, like you just kind of want to like wrap yourself up in something soft. And then also when people touch you, even just in the way that, you know, when we first met, you might touch my elbow, something like that. It's really a, a warm kind of special thing where people are like, oh, like what, what is that? You know? Uh, and there are some brands that, that I have particular affinities for in that space that just make the best stuff. Let, let's tangent here. Sure. You talked about touching the elbow. Yeah. I've always been a weird, it's, it's, I'm big into human kind of interaction, right? Sure. And, and I, I'm going to, I'm going to shake your hand right now and I want to okay. see if you had this handshake before. Okay. Ready? Ready? This ready. one. Boom. Have That's, you had that one? I have. I don't like it. Okay. Like so, it. so what I just did to Ben <laughs> was the typical agent handshake in Hollywood. And it's when, it's when the agent comes in, takes your hand and then flips it upside down so that your palm is facing the ceiling and their hand, it's, it's a top dog move. Interesting. So what is your go-to gentleman? You're a gentleman. I, I like to think so you 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 concern yourself with gentlemanly things what is the gentleman's uh hello is it is it is it the elbow touch because that's like a presidential I, thing. I don't yeah i don't often do the elbow touch but but every now and then i mean i think the first time you meet somebody it's just a firm handshake with a look in the eye and that's it like Hand, you know why complicate things handshake you know? eye contact that's it i mean it, you know life is just did, that simple did i touch your elbow you did not i don't think I wish you had. I honestly. could see that i would have because the truth is we have been trying to schedule this for the better while. part of a year yep and uh, I'm just terribly excited. <laughs> Me I, no, too, man. I, I'm like I'm like a real fan. Well, that likewise for sure. And and I think part of that comes from you know one of the things I look at in my work, and this goes back to my grandfather. He started Highlights Magazine, mm -hmm. and at the uh, real estate, right under the title of the magazine on the cover, it says "Education with a Purpose." And that's a lot of what I try to do. And I sure. never would have guessed that I would have been there, especially within the confines of the golf industry. Yeah. But you were my golf, uh, my, sorry, you were, you're like my horological instructor <laughs> and you also entertain me. I appreciate that. And, and can you talk about how the media came first? Because it has for me as well. Yeah. And, and it's an equation that seems to be quite flammable. Yeah. Yep. But it was unexpected for me. Can you sure. I'm gonna put yeah, the mic I mean, down you know, and just go for, for it? Sure. First and foremost, I, I believe in the power of media at scale, uh, in spades. You know, I, I believe, you know, when I was younger and reading GQ or Esquire, Vanity Fair or something like that, or, or highlights, honestly, uh, you know, I mean, it's really something that you like, like you learn so much and it really shapes kind of who you are, or at least it shaped me. And so when I went to journalism school here in the city, I, I really started to, to lean into what, what media can be, but also paying attention to kind of like what just made sense. And for us, you know, we write about watches. Like we're not, we're not saving people's lives here, you know? This should be fun. And I think that is what has allowed this to be successful is that like I'm from Rochester, New York. Both my parents are teachers. Like I don't come from like a really wealthy, opulent upbringing or anything like that. And so many folks in my world, in the watch world, do. And so the champagne and caviar becomes native to them. And it's not native to me at all. And frankly, I don't care. Like the first time I bought a nice watch, like having some champagne served was kind of neat. Like it was, it was cool, you know, but I don't really care. And I think most Sorry. people today. Sorry, I have to interrupt. Yes. It, when you buy a nice watch, they give you champagne? Absolutely. Clearly I have not you're done buying, that. You're buying the wrong watches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, they'll give you just about anything. You know? uh, and so we just said, hey, like, you know, I, I was 25 when I started the site for fun, like truly for fun. There was no business plan. Still is not. Um, I just want to. That, that's not true. I swear to God. There is a business plan. I now. mean, in, in my head somewhere, but I mean, there's nothing on paper. Because you do it for love. Absolutely. And money. But, but, but you can't that do it. That was kind of for, a joke for the record. Yeah, so, no, yeah. you can't do it for money and care the way you do well i think i think there there's a happy medium where like we can we can be a profitable company and we are thankfully we can have venture backers which we do which is kind of neat uh but at the same time still do things the right way and like you know anything that we sell on our site i could look 
you in the eye of somebody that I just met and, and hold, hold in high regard and say like, hey, if you can afford this, like you should spend your money on this. It's worthwhile. And so to give you an idea, you know, we, we carry some brands, some big watch brands that some of you may or may not have heard of, like Tag Heuer, Longines, whatever. Tag Heuer, for example, has 500 SKUs around the world. So if you go to Macy's, for example, which is one of their biggest retailers, there are hundreds of different Tag Heuer's. We carry eight. Right. And so we say we pick the things from each brand that we really be, like truly believe in and put our weight behind those. So in, in many ways, we are a modern retailer. We are a curated approach. We are an edited approach to commerce but the same way that we have a curated approach to, to edit. So the guys, Stephen, who you met and some other folks out there, their take on watches is dramatically different than what, like, say, the Rob reports might be or GQ or Esquire or Vogue or Vanity Fair or whatever. This is this is an enthusiast publication first. This is not for for everybody. There must be some type of internal comedy about some specific watches that you see someone wearing. <laughs> I have it. I go around to a lot of golf courses or private, whatever it yeah. is, and, and I see one watch over Rolex and over and over and over again. I see it in the flatbeds. I see it in the, the you know, wherever. Yeah. And that's the watch. And I have come to dislike it. You're saying this is the Rolex? Yeah. Yeah. Now, I did go uptown early on in my horological curious days, yeah. and I did try on the original, the Bond. Sure. And that was wonderful. That's a neat thing. That's but then it was gone. Thing. And then it was gone. And now it's several hundred thousand dollars. Uh, so, I mean, Rolex is, and, you know, in many ways, my, so I, I grew up playing golf. My grandfather played golf. That's how I got into it. I played on the high school team. I was really into it. And then Hodinkee happened. And then work happened. And I just stopped. Just, like, truly flat out stopped. I'm sorry. I need to interrupt one more time. Yes. Hodinkee. Yeah. Hodinkee with a Y on the end means wristwatch in check. This was truly like, this was a fleeting idea. This was a passing moment, you know? And I was like, all right, like, I'll just call it this. It's kind of goofy, whatever. And now here we are 10 years later, 11 years later, actually. And Hodinkee in many ways is the perfect name because it, it ensures that we don't take ourselves too seriously. And in this industry where, where the champagne and caviar is rampant, it's really easy to take yourself really seriously. And I think I'll be the first person to admit that like the watch you're wearing, like you didn't need to spend three and a half grand on that. Like you just didn't, I didn't need to spend whatever I spent on this either. Like nobody needs this stuff. It has to be fun. Busted. Exactly. <laughs> I know you. Yeah. <laughs> um, wait, first of all, yes, you're a great interview. Oh, thank you. So, that's so that's exciting. I appreciate for, that. And for everybody listening, I would just want to thank, you for listening and Ben thank you for being a great interview it takes a lot of pressure <laughs> what I me. Do. I'm not I'm not having the best day I'm a little bit I don't know if you can hear my little nasally today I got well, a you were bit supposed of a, to play winged foot this morning so you're definitely not having a great day and I turned it down because yeah. I, I got a little congested yeah. and I just I just needed to just go to sleep huh. but um, but uh, the, the Hodinkee thing is really interesting because for me I we're gonna get back to the story about golf but sure. uh, for me I uh, if you told me that you were gonna start this like tech company you're gonna call it Google. Exactly. I'd be like, you are going to fail. Exactly. Or, or I mean, Goop is another one. I yeah. mean, Gwyneth has done an amazing job with that, with a silly name. like Yahoo. So, exactly. I mean, it, it's all like you can make you can make anything meaningful with time, you know? And I like the, the luxury brand that I have the most respect for, and we were lucky enough to work with them last year, is Hermes. Hermes means nothing. I mean, it doesn't mean a single thing. And then you it's, look, a, it's a family, isn't exactly, it? Exactly. Exactly. It's a name. It is. But I mean, the, the name effectively means nothing. You know, it's not like, um, I don't know, I can't even come up with something. It's not like, well, I guess a lot of these these great brands are family names. You know, I'm looking around at our library here and I see Cartier and Bulova and Audemars Piguet, et cetera. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Hodinkee is a silly name and I'm proud of it. And I think, again, it, it keeps us grounded in, in a really positive way because it's so easy to take yourself way too seriously in the luxury space. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so Rochester. Yep, 16, Rochester. Golf 16, team. playing golf on the high school team was, you know, middle of the pack, like, you know, kind of just doing my thing, you know. Uh, and then I went through school, didn't really play. You know, when I got out of school and started this, this business, I just frankly didn't have time to play. Uh, so I completely stopped. And so coming back to Rolex, it was actually an introduction that, that a friend of mine at Rolex made that got me back into golf, and that was to, to Adam Scott the golfer who is a huge watch guy and the nicest man you'll ever meet. And so Adam and I have become friends over the past few years. And when you become friends with a guy like Adam Scott, like you're going to play golf. Like there's just no way you're not, you know? Uh, and so believe it or not, he invited me to play winged foot last summer. What are the chances? Yeah, exactly. It's full circle. Exactly. Always. And so, you know, I'm like, fuck man. Like, you know, I'm playing winged foot with Adam Scott. Like I can't totally embarrass myself. Like I know I'm going to embarrass myself to some degree. So that summer, I started playing a lot just to kind you of know, prepare for that. You know, what's funny is we got connected through Michael Williams mm -hmm. from a continuous lean, yeah. a gentleman. Sure. And I remember when we were talking, he some it, something came up and he said, I was like, oh, you know, I'd, I'd really love to, you know, talk to talk to Ben about golf. And he said, talking, talking, talking. And he goes, well, you know, he played Wingfoot with Adam Scott <laughs> the is, other day. The only other time I've ever <laughs> mentioned golf on a podcast was with Adam Scott right after we played Wingfoot. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was that was absurd. It really was. And now Adam is, is a really good friend, and he's just the nicest guy. Were you more nervous than usual on the first tee? Yeah. Which course did you play, East or West? Uh, what's the the big one? Uh, West. West. That's, that's, that's the thing. It's like, I am a golf fan, and I love it, but I'm not a nerd about it. Like, I'm not a, just because I'm really just getting back into it over the past year. Oh, really? Uh, Why? Just because, I mean, I was, I was so busy for so long that I just didn't have time to play. I joined a club upstate about a year and a half ago. And uh, it's been great. So I'm now I'm deep, deep into it. And I watch your videos and I'm on, you know, golf.com, et cetera, all the time. Uh, but for a while, I was just totally out of it, you know. So I, I was not in practice at all when I played with Adam at, at Wingfoot. And yeah, I mean, like it was the first time I've ever played golf with a master's winner, you know. Uh, so yeah, I've, I've, never yeah. I've never done <laughs> well, that. Yeah, we'll do it sometime for <laughs> Bucket sure. List. Um, I mean, just really daunting. And Wingfoot is Wingfoot, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so I grew up in Rochester. I wasn't a member, but I played, got to play Oak Hill, you know, quite a bit growing up. And, uh, you know, really similar vibe to Winged Foot. And uh, it's just an amazing moment, uh, for sure. Uh, I played pretty well um, with, with Adam and some of his friends. And, uh, you know, that got me just hooked, really hooked. And so this year, I got fitted for clubs for the first time. I really started taking it seriously. Went down to Pinehurst for a weekend, you know, that, that type of stuff. Let's fit it for clubs. You, we, we kind of gloss over that. There's a massive story there, I'm sure. sure. Can I hear it? Yeah. Uh, so Ashley Mayo, who I know you know. That's one of the reasons why I'm in New York right now is yep. to meet her beautiful new son. Oh, amazing. Yeah, that, Jonesy. That's amazing. So Ashley was uh, introduced to me by another mutual friend, and she said, oh, you got to try Truspec. And I was like, ah, whatever. Like, I don't, you know, do I need that? And the more I played this summer and I was getting, you know, I was feeling a little bit more dialed in. I was like, okay, like the clubs I was playing with were 10 years old. Like I got them when I graduated school, stuff like that. What clubs? And, uh, those were AP1s. Okay. If you want, if you want, yeah. If you uh, if you're wondering what TrueSpec is, TrueSpec is the so everyone you know. I went to the kingdom with TaylorMade. Uh, TrueSpec is basically a brand agnostic fitting facility that is, I would say, it's about as high end as you can get. It was it was a really neat experience. It's incredible. Really, yeah, and honestly, the clubs that they that they fitted for me, I would never would have chosen myself, but have changed my game. Like exactly. truly changed my game. And that's I've heard that before. That's a common sentiment. And that's the brand agnostic angle exactly. is, is they're going to put you in, you know, one brand of irons, one brand of wedges, a different putter driver, yep. you know, and, and, and that's, 
that's an, an interesting and new take that Hoyt came up with. Yeah. No, so it's, it's I, I've always been a Titleist guy. I don't know why. It just like, you know, if you like Ralph Lauren, like you play Titleist. Like that's just kind of a rule, you know? They go together. They really do. And, you know, and Adam is a Titleist guy, so I've kind of got a, an insight See, I, there. I break the mold because I like Ralph Lauren and I like TaylorMade. So there you go. I mean, there, you know. There you have it. You never know what you're going to run it's into. It's a business. Yeah. Uh, so I go there, and this was right when the new T series had come out from, from Titleist this summer. And I was like, okay, like I'm definitely gonna end up with these new T100s or T200s, whatever they are. And I get there and I hit them and they're, they're wonderful. I mean, they're, they're dramatically nicer and stronger than what I was playing, but I ended up going with Callaway's, uh, the Apex, uh, Apex Forge. Interesting. And I love them. It's a soft club. It is. It's very soft, buttery. It's, it's amazing. And on top of that, I, they, they fitted me with these like carbon something shafts. Oh, uh, uh, probably steel fiber. Yeah, steel yeah. fiber, exactly. And again, like something I didn't even know existed, but like has changed my game. And like I've probably dropped two, three strokes on my handicap already in like the first three months. That happened to me. I got fitted in March, like an ultimate fitting. And yeah, I dropped four. No kidding. And you know, because you just all of a sudden it's like the artages stay the same. Yep. The ball flight stays the same. Yeah. So you're playing a forged uh, forged uh, iron here. That's yeah. that's no... Uh, that's no chump, chump uh, golf club there. What's no. your, what do you, do you keep a handicap? I do. I do keep a handicap. Uh, I think right now it's probably like six and a half, seven, something like that. Solid. Yeah, we're, we're doing okay. We're doing okay. Single digit is a gentleman's handicap. It is. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's, where, that's where you have to be, right? <laughs> <laughs> what um, is it? Uh, there's, I, I, there's so many great quotes about, uh, you know, in order to get good at golf, you know, you have to, the, the amount of time it takes. So you just joined a club. Do you yeah. practice? Uh, I don't really practice just because it's it's about an hour upstate, so I don't have that much time. So when I go up there, I just play. Okay, uh, yeah. but it's a super chill club. Uh, it's called Wakabuck. It's in Northern Westchester. I've heard of um, it. And so I go up there and I play all the time. Bring friends out, whatever. Um, and you know, it's a no tea time type of place, so you just kind of show up and do your thing. Very European, and, uh, exactly. And it's just it's wonderful. Uh, I did, however, I know you you went to visit the Mura guys, right? Yeah, and uh, so Himeji. exactly. So I got some Mura wedges, and Jesus Christ, dude, they're I mean, incredible. They're amazing, absolutely uh, amazing. You know, let's actually dig into that. So, so um, for a lot of people, that I'm searching for my reading glasses because I can't see a thing. What, what is the duration? <laughs> they're on, they're on your they're I'm, on your sweater. Right oh, now. there you yeah, go. Yeah. All right, I'm just gonna find out where we're at. All right, we'll go. We'll go about ten more minutes, and we're gonna take a break. Okay. Um, the Muir episode for me was like the pinnacle, not necessarily of adventures in golf, but for me of merging kind of the idea of a story with a, a younger audience yeah. in a way that works. And on some level, I'm, I'm sure if you're listening to the podcast, you've seen this episode, but it, to sum it up in one sentence, we basically visited the samurai swordsman, quite literally, that's where they forge the steel for the swords, who makes golf clubs and was rumored... Uh, and did not deny the rumors, mm. uh, for the record, for making the clubs for Tiger Woods uh, early on in his career. Yeah. Um, and you bring this up, and I think maybe this is a really interesting segue of something that I've never considered. Watches for a long time in my life were useless, right. meaningless, uh, kind of didn't like it on my wrist even. And then it occurred to me that not everything is entirely use-driven. Correct. And that was hard for me because I'm not a trinket guy. I'm, I mean, I, I love design mm -hmm. and I love simplicity. Yeah. And really, you know, it's interesting that golf and watches both spent a lot of my life as a vacant object. They, yeah. they weren't there. Totally. And, and so for me to kind of easily dive into this Mira story where we're looking at the craftsmanship and the yeah. family and the time and the history... 
you probably got a lot out of that that I would never even imagined. Loved it. And I'm, honestly, like when, when I went into True Spec, I was like, I want mirror irons. Like, I just want them, you know? And they were like, you're not good enough for mirror irons. Like, just don't even try, you know? Uh, so I ended up with, I just bought two wedges, and uh, they are the closest thing to a, a fine watch I've ever seen in the golf world. I mean, they are spectacular. Uh, they remind me of a company called A. Langenstone, which is a German watchmaker, uh, you know, in, in Saxony. Sometimes uh, when we miss the green long, we say, we say A. Langenstone. <laughs> That's good. Um, they really, you know, really similar kind of uh, work ethic, aesthetic, even the way that they feel in your hand, the solidity of it. It's a lot like a Leica camera, if you've ever held a Leica. Mm-hmm. Um, just amazing quality. And like the, hitting them is just so pure. It's so pure. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just adore, I adore these wedges truly. You, um, I'm, I'm hesitant to go too deep into watches with you because you're just, you're on a, you're, you're on the 97th floor and I'm sort of like in the basement. <laughs> it's, it's what I do, you know? Can you tell me about my watch? I can tell you a lot about that watch. I'd actually. like to know about my watch. So that is a Black Bay GMT. Uh, so Pepsi bezel. So kind of inspired by the, the Rolex, uh, GMT master, which came out in 1957. Amazing watch in house, you know, basically an independently settable, uh, time zone, second time zone hand. It's an amazing watch and also very difficult to get these days. Uh, so I'm sure some of you may have heard that like steel Rolexes are basically like unobtainium at this point. That's trickling down into the Tudor world as well. And so this this watch in particular, that plus the Black Bay 58 are like, you just can't get them. I've never seen it on anyone else's wrist. Exactly. I, I mean, I strangely, I saw one this week, which just never happens. Uh, I've seen it. I've seen you wearing it, obviously, on Instagram, et cetera. But yeah, I mean, they're just they're really difficult to find. And it's an amazing watch in particular for, for the money. I mean, the Rolex is probably two and a half times the price of this, but it's it's pretty damn close to the same watch. Um, the only difference from a like a squinted eye point of view is you're missing a Cyclops and the case is a little bigger. Yeah. But and and that's that's okay by my book, you know. Yeah, and I, I think like in it. many ways, you know, obviously I I adore Rolex and like they are in 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 the golf world, they and Omega are kind of you know the, the the dual kings of of, of this space. But Tudor is, is a little bit more interesting in some ways because the average knucklehead at at Wingfoot is probably wearing Rolex, and nothing against that, but it's just a different thing. Um, you know, Tudor shows that you've got a little bit more you know kind of thought, and you know, again, they're they're less expensive, but I think that's more interesting in in many ways. I don't know if I've told the story on the podcast, but I'd like to share with everybody listening. Um, my father uh, did not have a watch to give me or my grandfather. Um, and it wasn't really part of my life. Neither was golf. They didn't have any interest in golf. And I became interested in watches. And um, I decided, similarly, I decided kind of what type of watch I might want to get. And Rolex was obviously interesting to me. I, I really love your talking watches with Aziz. Oh yeah, when yeah, he yeah. when he says you were you were like why are they all why are you really into Rolex and yeah. he goes well it's unfuckwithable <laughs> and that's completely accurate for it, the record it is yeah. and and I, but I loved his selections of Rolexes because yeah. they're not the obvious right. no, I didn't see once there's no there's not even a sport watch I don't think uh, he he just sent spot one but yeah I mean really basically nothing yeah they were all like leather yeah day dates and, and, and yeah. date just things like that I love a good day date with a weird <sighs> colored dial me too me too um. So anyway, this watch for me commemorated uh, the completion of a job with the USGA. Oh, no kidding. And for me, that was, it, it wasn't the hardest job to obtain or to complete or to, to do, but it was, the, it was the first job where I was like, it, it, I suppose at some point in your career, you had the realization, and I hope this doesn't come off egotistical or self-aggrandizing, but it's not that I'm important. But it's that what I'm doing is important. That it has some meaning, yeah. And I wanted to remember that moment for the rest of my life. I get that. I get that. I, I, I really do. You know, it's funny. I, 
uh, I hate being that guy that drops names, but I'm going to drop some names. You know? Drop them. Uh, so one of our investors and one of our, our kind of closer friends here is John Mayer, who's sitting right there on, on, on the wall there. And so he and I were in New York. If you haven't seen, that was the first thing I've seen. No, no, that's not. The first thing I saw was Goldberger. Yeah, who legend. Is, Absolute legend. We DM. I'm yeah. in love with that guy. <laughs> he's, he's the king. Uh, Goldberger opened up a watch with a butter knife. It was uh, a, a, a split it, second Rolex. A split second, which is incredible. That's a $3 million watch. $3 million watch with yeah. a butter knife yeah. in yeah. a restaurant. Correct. Yeah, and that was totally unprompted. I mean, that was just like, he just <laughs> did, like, that's how he lives his life, you know? <laughs> we actually, I don't know if it's in this room or not, we actually have that knife. After we published the video, we were like, like people are freaking out about this fucking knife. <laughs> so next time I was in Geneva, I was like, hey, do you happen to have this knife? They're like, actually, yeah, it's the only one we have with a yellow handle. It's right here. So I took it, and I have it somewhere. It might actually be in that cabinet right there. Uh, and then the next episode of Talking Watches I saw, which, like I said, if you even if you're not into watches, yeah. that's okay because I you can get into it just Absolutely. like I did. And you know, golf was the same for me. The John Mayer episode was really interesting because I, I know John peripherally. I saw a different side of him. Yeah. Yep. I mean, John is a super thoughtful guy. I mean, he was one of the first kind of like big names to get get behind what we're doing here, or really have any interest in it. And so the first talking watches we shot six years ago at Little Prince, which is a uh, kind of a restaurant over here in Soho. And he was in town doing something. And myself and my, my friend Will, who still works with us, were like, hey, like, let's just let's just put this on tape. Let's see what happens, you know. And we've since done 50 plus episodes with Andre Iguodala, with Aziz Ansari, with Jack Nicholas, which is pretty crazy. Um, How did you get the Jack Nicholas interview? I mean, so, that's just I, I, I actually, you know, because I have the same problem. Yeah. Right. You know, in life, we sort of choose our problems. And my problem is apparently to convince people to hang out with me <laughs> while I record the hangout. I, I understand that like all too well. <laughs> that, that was a funny one. So, I mean, so, so believe it or not, through Rolex again, Jack has this day date, which is kind of like the, the president is what many people call it, that he was given in 1967 after winning something. And he's basically had this watch with him for like basically every major, you know, we're talking like a lot, a lot of tournaments. It was 13 here. in the end. Exactly. He, he only missed one. There you go. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, he has this watch and he, his people came to us and said, Hey, Jack's going to want to sell this watch, but he wants to do it for charity. And, but he wants like, he wants to get the story out there. And Rolex's suggestion, I believe was to come to us because this is what we do. So basically what we did was we did a one watch episode of talking watches. It was just Jack, myself at his house down in Palm beach and this one watch. And that was it. And this was probably two years ago. He has since uh, consigned the watch to Philip's big auction house and he'll be selling it this year uh, in December. So that watch will be available for purchase for who knows how much uh, in Best two months. Guess. A million bucks, I would guess. The Paul Newman was the most expensive and that went for... That was 17. But that, that that's a different thing. I mean, you know, and so we... we I, I spoke with Jack about it and it's just, it's just such a dramatically different thing because the, the Paul Newman, a... Much love to Jack Nicholas. Paul Newman's a, is a different thing. I mean, Paul Newman is icon yeah. around the world. You He's know? not bound by any one particular activity. Exactly right. Exactly. Philanthropist, etc. Then on Co top of cookies. that, yeah, that as well. Uh, then you have the idea that the Paul Newman Daytona has come to define and create an entire category of collecting, right? So I mean, like the idea of a collectible vintage Rolex was was basically catalyzed by the Paul Newman Daytona. So without that, like, you know, you don't have a watch that's on your wrist. You don't have a vintage Submariner selling for, a, you know, $200,000. You don't have any of this stuff. So the collector base get, got really excited by that. Uh, and it is it is the ultimate, you know, kind of collectible wristwatch for sure. Uh, folks, if you're listening, you can't see my face, but I, Ben, you may have noticed I had a weird smile on my face. <laughs> yes. Hearing you utter the words, Paul Newman Daytona, I kind of was lulled into a bit of a trance. <laughs> Seriously, because it has that effect. I've heard you say it before. Yeah. 
and it is an interesting thing. Um, uh, what uh, I'm not so interested in either of those watches. Yeah, I'm interested in uh, the uh, sort of. Um, uh, well, I don't even know how you would describe it. It seems to be a, a hodgepodge of uh, of a watch that was worn in uh, Vietnam. Yeah, or or quote Vietnam. Can you tell me about how that watch came to be? We're talking the Marlon Brando watch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that I mean that watch because I'm a GMT guy, of course. And yeah. and real quick though, I I really like to dumb this down for some people. I I you did kind of cover the second hour hand on the GMT. Mm-hmm. The GMT. I'm gonna try this. Right. Let's sure. try this. GMT was developed by Rolex in the 60s? Uh, 57. 57, so. okay. Yeah. Close. Pretty good. I'm that's, an estimator. Round up, you know. I shot an 80. I mean an 83. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was designed for pilots who were basically traveling in between time zones. Yeah. And there's a one hand that goes around twice, which is the 12-hour hand. And there's one hand that goes around once, which is the 24-hour hand. I do three time zones on my GMT because I memorize the London time. As you should, yeah. As you should, right? Yeah. So that's, that's common. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't do that. Correct. Um, do you have a GMT? I do. Which one? Uh, I have, I've got a, a vintage one called the gilt dial, which is kind of a glossy dial from the 60s. And then the story that, that I, I meant to tell was I have a, a white gold modern Pepsi bezel GMT that I bought with Mayer. Meteorite? Uh, no, not Meteorite. So this was before. It was just a black dial. Okay. So he had just signed on to play with the Grateful Dead. Which was Sick. which is a pretty big deal. I'm a know? big fan. Oh, how can you not be? You know, so he was about to form Dead and Co, and I was about to to kind of basically like at the time my company was was three guys, you know, really actually two guys and one girl, and we were like, all right, like it's time to really do this thing. Uh, and so I had just closed on my first kind of like venture round, and so John and I were drinking somewhere. And we're like, hey, we should go out and celebrate both these like big moments for each of us. So we walked in the Rolex boutique, and we both bought matching white gold GMTs. I've heard the story, which yes. we talk about on the second video with him. Yeah. And uh, and that's just like fuck like this is a meaningful moment for me. It's just a fun story. Um but yeah, so that that watch I wear all the time as well. Um we're going to go to a quick break and then we're going to come back with the I'm fascinated to dive into the details of this Marlon Brando Apocalypse Now uh watch story. Stand by. Folks, you've heard me talk about it and I'm not talking about never mind. I'm talking about Precision Pro. You've heard me talk about them. I got a chance to meet these guys. I went out to Cincinnati, spent the I spent four years with them in one week. It was incredible. Anyway, uh, what's the main thing that golfers have in their bag that they're going to use most during a round? I think you know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a putter. I'm not talking about your favorite iron. I'm not talking about your right arm to flag the beverage cart. I'm talking about your rangefinder. All golfers need a rangefinder that they can trust to know the precise distance in their target for nearly every shot whether you're on the tee box or in the fairway. That's true. I've Honestly, I've thought about using it for putting just so I can be super accurate because putting is obviously lagging a little bit. Getting a phone call, folks. Um, anyway, I carry the NX9 HD Rangefinder by Precision Pro Golf. It's easy to use, incredibly fast, and most importantly, it gives me the exact yardage to my target so I can choose the right club and swing with confidence. I actually love pulling it out. People are like, what is that? I'm like, it's Precision Pro. Get down with the green and blue, my guy. Green and gray, I mean. Um, Not to mention, Precision Pro offers free battery replacement services for the life of your rangefinder. We all know how annoying it is to run out of batteries, but you get an extra one when you get it, and then you get rangefinder batteries throughout the, like I said, life of your rangefinder. So you're not only getting a rangefinder, you're signing up for a lifetime service. So really, it just depends on how long you live. And at that point, that's where the podcast sort of, that's where it just drops off, and it's up to you at that point. Live healthy, obviously. Play Don't play golf in lightning. Uh, don't don't shoot adventures in golf because that uh, that we've talked about that with my insurance company and it does decrease my lifespan. But you know, 
it increases the benefits and we all have fun. We've all signed up. Me and the crew have all signed. Uh, it's like an NDA for your life. Good news. The NX9 HD rangefinder is on sale for $40 off. Even better, listeners of the podcast can receive an extra $10 off by using the coupon code ERIC, E-R-I-K, at checkout. Go to PrecisionProGolf.com and use the coupon code ERIC at checkout for $50 off the NX9 HD rangefinder today. Swing with confidence, hit more greens with Precision Pro Golf. All right, got a very, very special read from you. One read that fits into three stripes because you know how much I love the three stripes and I'm very excited to share something with you. Who knows what that'll be? Some secrets, maybe? Some secrets in the dirt? No. Adidas took their knit game to a whole new level and honestly, I've actually, I wore these just the other day and I was pretty comfortable and pretty tethered to the ground. Anyway, um, have you seen the new Tor 360 XT Prime Knit that was just released? Um, it's the first waterproof knit that they've ever had. So what you get there is a lot of flexibility around your little old feet or big old feet, depending on what size your foot is, obviously. Although your foot may be big in stature, but not so much in, you know, it, you can have a big foot, but still have a small size. You know what I mean? Anyway, they come with a one-year waterproof warranty and three fresh new colorways so you can stand out on the course. It's important to stand out. Sometimes if you're golf game, no, anyway. Uh, it's built on the XT Traction sole, so you get amazing grip, but it's still lightweight and comfortable. That is true. Anyway, head over to adidas.com slash US slash golf to snag a pair. And follow Adidas Golf on Instagram and Twitter to stay updated on all of their newest releases. Until then, see you out there. It looking fresh. Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now, check out this podcast. All right. Marlon Brando, yeah, you're an errand boy. Yeah, he wears a GMT. He I does. was I was thrilled that he liked the GMT. How did? Why does it not? So, so tell us about it. Yeah, so Marlon Brando in Apocalypse Now obviously plays you know one of the all time great characters in in film potentially you know, and he in that in that role has a Rolex GMT without a bezel, and the the bezel is kind of the easiest thing to identify in any GMT because it's bright blue and bright red. The bezel is the piece of the watch that sits around the sapphire yep. or glass Correct. or yep. crystal. And on the GMT, it's got numbers. So it says 2468 up to 24. Mm -hmm. um, on a Submariner, it'll say 10, 20, 30. And it's kind of the most, it, it's really the, it, it, from afar, it's the only way to define what watch someone's it, wearing. It, it really is. And, you know, in, in, in this story, you know, that watch, I, I wrote a, a little piece for our site maybe five years ago and dubbed it one of the, the 12 greatest missing watches. And by, by missing, I just mean I didn't know where it was. You know, I mean, like it was never missing. It was with his family. Uh, but I mean, this is one of those things where it's just like, you know, I didn't know where Paul Newman's Paul Newman was either. You know, that also was with his extent and basically his his girlfriend. I'm sorry, his daughter's ex-boyfriend, uh, which is amazing. Um, so this watch remained with his daughter for the entirety of its life, you know, up until this past year when it came into the door of Phillips, who had sold Paul Newman's watch and said, Hey, I think, I think this is the watch from the film. In fact, I know it is, you know, what do you think about this thing? Uh, and this watch again is, you know, it's not Paul Newman's watch. It, it doesn't, that Paul Newman was a special thing. It was almost a once in a lifetime type of thing. Uh, it was an, it was an, it was an era watch. It wasn't, it wasn't an icon or anything else. It was literally a movement. Absolutely. And it, it was, it was a perfect storm, you know, it 
it was Paul Newman, it was Daytona, which is like kind of the hottest yeah. category in vintage watches. Special thing. The, the the Brando GMT will do exceptionally well. I have no doubt about that, but I wouldn't expect it to go for millions upon millions, you know? Uh, but this watch re- remains, you know, bezel-less on the strap that it was, was worn on in the film. So is it, the, I just had an interesting met- metaphorical kind of realization that here's Marlon Brando, <clears throat> excuse me, here's Marlon Brando playing a character that's, unidentifiable they're trying to locate him and he's wearing a watch without the bezel which is the identifying characteristic of it it's almost too good (laughs) it's really really good it really is so why why is there no bezel on it no, I mean, nobody knows. This was just part of the character development. Oh, I mean, wow. th- this was not, I, I believe this was not premeditated in any way. I think he probably just said, you know, popped it off one day. So I could pop off my bezel and it would just be smooth metal right there? You or? could, yeah. Wow. I wouldn't recommend it. I'm but not you could. Do it. You definitely could. Uh, but I think, you know, what, what's amazing about that watch, Jack's watch, the Paul Newman watch, is that, like, this world is so rewarding and so much fun. And you can meet so many different people, like we have, honestly, uh, in this space that are into it for, like, like diametrically opposing reasons. You know, like, I know a guy that just cares about, like, how much money is it going to make me down the road? That's not my type of guy, right. but I know that guy. Then there's somebody that just cares about the, the, the art of it, the design of it, the wearability, the, the, um, the engineering. I mean, like, these are actual mechanical machines on your wrist. And what's amazing about these moments when they cross over into the mainstream, like, with the Brando watch or the Paul Newman or Jack's watch later this year is it just brings new people into our world. And I think that has always been my goal. And that was the goal with the mayor video six years ago is we just want to get guys excited about this because there's not that many things that, that really allow a man or a woman to really create a multi-generational legacy and have it with you 24 hours a day. And like, like, you know, you can buy an amazing car. Say you buy a, a vintage 911 or a modern 911. 50 years from now, like the chances of that car still being on the road are pretty slim, especially if it's a modern one, you know? This, this jacket, even as nice as it is, like it's not going to be around in 50 years. <laughs> Jewelry, sure, that, that will be. But a watch is a machine, and it relies on you just as much as you rely on it, and it'll be around for as many generations as you like. Why do you think watches are so big in golf? And, and, I, and I guess I'd like to have you explore the possibility that it isn't just that majority of golf is centered around financial right uh, it's the rich ex- white guy thing exposition you mean? Yeah. yeah you know it, it's one of those things where i mean the rolex has been such a leader in that space since the earliest days i mean the fact that rolex presented jack nicholas's watch in 1967 says everything like this was before the idea of like a paid ambassador existed and rolex said hey like we want you to have this thing uh, and that, that's kind of hard to believe in today's. Whoa, wait, you just blew my mind. That There was a time before athletes and celebrities and Correct. whoever else was basically paid to play. Correct. Correct. And when, it, when was the first? Do we so know? It, it was actually Rolex, believe it or not. Uh, wait, wait, of, of, of all yes. possible realms. Yep. yep. Wait, Rolex was the first company to literally say to a person, we want you to represent our brand in your normal life. Correct. Correct. No and so way. The, the story was this woman named Mercedes Gleitz, who was a, a swimmer, uh, was about to swim across the English Channel. And the Rolex asked her to do it with a Rolex Oyster watch. The Oyster case, basically waterproof watch, had just come out. And so she did it. This is the simplest Rolex you can buy. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, this is in the 1930s. This is a, this is a ways back. Right. And she actually, believe it or not, did not successfully swim it, at least the first time, but did so with the watch. And the watch was totally fine. And then Rolex would say, hey, you know, Sir Edmund Hillary, or at the time, Edmund Hillary, or just Ooh, Ed. Explorer. Uh, exactly. Like, how would you take this thing up, Everest? And he, it was the Explorer, goes. right? It was the Explorer, yeah. Oh, uh, or pre-Explorer. Uh, and same thing, you know, when, when uh, you know, they went down to the Mariana Trench, the deepest point in the ocean, Rolex was like, hey, like, give this a shot, you know? And what you have to remember, 
remember is that like this wasn't like this wasn't promotional. This wasn't like luxury. Like you needed a watch to tell the time. There was no alternative. There was and, no digital time telling. And Rolex didn't pay them, but they gave them the watch. Exactly. Exactly. Did they use any of that collateral for marketing purposes? They did down the road. They did down the road. In, in some cases. So when, when Mercedes swam the English Channel or attempted to, they, they did use that as collateral. For when they went to the Mariana Trench, I don't believe they did. I mean, the, the ultimate kind of accomplishment in, in, in horology and, and kind of mankind is going to the moon, obviously, right? And so Omega, with the Speedmaster, you know, positioned that watch there. And again, that watch, like Omega didn't pay for that. NASA tested that watch and three or four others and chose it. Simply because they at, needed a watch on the moon. Exactly. Why? Because they need to know how long they're to time out the, there? To time, the, to time the burns, to time the mission. I mean, again, there was no digital time telling. And that, that's the thing that you have to remember. Like, there were no there were, digital clocks weren't invented until 1969. So basically the year that we landed on the moon was the first time a digital clock was even a thing. So think about sports car racing, think about diving, think about anything. Everything was done with a mechanical watch. I am completely stunned. No, no, really. <laughs> Because I'm envisioning uh, uh, the first landing on the moon was Apollo 11. Yeah. I'm envisioning Apollo 11, and I'm just, I'm inside the cockpit seeing digital stuff. Yeah. But nope. there isn't any. No. I mean, it's it's all gauges. I mean, it's, it's all like this. I think, you know, one of the, I mean, obviously Apollo 11, successful mission, of course, one of the, the craziest stories about any time-telling device, you know, playing a role in, in exploration is Apollo 13. You know, so they had, they were timing these 13 second burns to make sure that they wouldn't use all their oxygen as they re-entered the atmosphere. And that was done on an Omega Speedmaster. Like, literally. Uh, and that is just a wild thing that, like, this little wristwatch played such an important role in this, like, the craziest scenarios a man could ever find himself in. And, and they, you know, they maneuvered it successfully. Like, like uh, if you thought your watch was not a matter of life and death, then you don't know the history of your watch. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, hang on a second. I'm still stuck on Rolex inventing the influencer. Yeah. yeah. True. True story. Yeah, I mean, do I... Is, is it... You're obviously very aware of the influencer lifestyle. I am indeed. What's it like? Uh, I, I don't consider myself one. In fact, like I, I stopped posting on Instagram almost a year ago. Uh, the Hodinkee thing is a different thing. Like that's a brand. That's like wait, whoa. you stopped. You no, you posted you posted your Apple Watch when you were in Japan on your birthday. That wasn't me. What do you I mean that wasn't you? The Apple Watch. My first one. My birthday is next week. So I know, and this was a year ago. Oh yeah, a year ago. Yes, you're and right. you were so, in Japan. Correct. That's exactly right. I was on. I was. That on was this. like the first post I ever saw of you. Okay, got it. So that was that was a crazy trip, actually. That was on like some really remote island in Japan with Apple and Hermes. Uh, um, but yeah, so was I it stopped. The art island. It was. What was it called? Awaji. No. God, I wish I remembered. It's it's on Instagram. We can reference. <laughs> yeah. It. Um, but uh, so as of January one this year, I was like, I'm off the gram. I gave it up. Why? You know. This business and this industry is so all-consuming for me. Like, this is my life. Instagram was taking up too much time, and there was too much kind of negative energy there. And I just said, you know what? Like, I don't need it. The site's going to continue to operate on Instagram, of course. I encourage all of our editors to do so. But for me personally, I just I just didn't need it. Uh, and I have to say, I, I'm, I'm better for it, for sure. So, at Ben Clymer is uh you're 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 captain kurtz right now the, the account is there you know it's still like i still have it but i haven't posted in over a year or well, i'm approaching year so january 1 well congratulations i'm Thank glad you. that i'm glad that that's led to a positive benefit for you yeah i mean it's just like you know it's one of those things where i'm i'm at a digital business of course and like i'm looking at things all day long i just didn't need to look at more things because ultimately as a as a digital business and a media you don't need a personal Instagram. I, I, I don't. And on top of that, it's also like, you know, m like when I think of like me the a picture of mental health 
And I think Instagram at times, you, you do a great job, obviously, but I think there are a lot of people that like live and die by what goes on on Instagram. And I have a, a friend who's a professional athlete who used to be one of the biggest watch collectors I knew, who then said, you know what, like, I'm out on this. Like, I'm still going to buy a Daytona and like some little things here and there. But like, I was buying watches, I being him, was buying watches to post on Instagram. And like this guy's a professional athlete. Like he doesn't like he shouldn't care that much, you know? Whoa. And and that's like when you think about like the, the big picture mental health kind of, you know, kind of scenarios and, and situation, you just want to make sure that like you're kind of doing things for the right way. And not that I ever tip to, to the, the wrong side of things, but I could see it happening. And I could say, Wow, like I saw this gold Paul Newman, I really want that. You know, and I just I wanted to stop wanting things so so much. Oh. Uh, and I think managing that for for somebody like me is, is a real thing. I mean, like I'm just I'm stimulated all the time by beautiful things. And that, that's a great place to be. But it's also it's, it can be unhealthy. So I wanted to make sure that what I was focusing on was was front and center. Well, well, Instagram is interesting, right? Because it was quite literally it was admitted to be uh, functioning around the forward concept of envy. Correct. And that's a bit. Psycho. Yeah. That's not fair. It's it's not. And I think like when you think about like the, there's two different things. There's jealousy and, and then there's envy. And jealousy is 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 actually kind of a healthy thing. Mm. It's like, oh, like, you know, Eric's got cool hair. Like, I wish I had cool hair. Like, that that's cool. Thanks, you know, man. really great hair. And the envy you, is you've got a great life. Thanks, dude. <laughs> that's very kind. <laughs> envy is, is envy is a different thing. Envy is like, I hate that person because he has great hair. Or like, right. fuck that guy because he's got great hair. And I never saw myself slipping that far into any of that. But I could see it. And I see it around me. And so, like, I, I have a, a, a life that I'm incredibly proud of and I've worked very hard for, but I see envious behavior towards me because of it. And that, to me, is scary. And so Instagram, I think, fosters that. And so, you know, as we all do, like, you know, you play golf with Adam Scott at Wingfoot, like, you're going to post that because, like, why wouldn't you, you know? People don't like that, it turns out, you know? And, like, there are people in your life that, that are really happy for you and really proud of you, but there are other people that don't like it at all. Yeah. It's interesting. No, it gives me. I mean, you know, to to be totally honest with you, I would like to stop. I don't have a choice right now. I understand. And ultimately, my media company is probably at least forty percent centered around that platform. Sure, I get that. And you know, what's funny is you're you're listening to the podcast here. You're hearing my nose. I'm a little nasally. And you know what you what you don't know is that last night I went to the airport. And um, I was alone. I didn't have my crew with me. I got dropped off, and uh, I pulled out. I pulled out a. I pulled out a fucking tripod. <laughs> I have this little tripod that's yeah. like one bar, and it goes three feet tall. Yeah. And I have to take a photo. Yep. Because I have to tell you a story. Right. And the way I get away with that is, I look at. Do you know Stephen Pressfield? No. He wrote The War of Art. Okay. Which is a very tiny book mentions golf in it a bit and then he ultimately wrote the legend of bagger vance i found out later got it he talks about the how creativity is uh it's great to have passion but you need to have hard work right and you can't just sort of sit down and write whenever you want and i'm sure you've learned this yeah. uh, obviously you wouldn't without having this success and so the way i look at it is it's like uh you know the best quote i've heard this year is being a professional means doing what you love even when you don't want to do it right and so last night I did not want to do it. Of course. But that's my job. And I did it. And I and I in the end I felt very satisfied with the work that I did because I told myself I had to do it. Right. So it's ironic that Instagram for most people is recreational and exploratory and and hopefully inspiring. Yeah. But uh yeah. I wasn't expecting to go here today. Well, you know, is that good or bad? I don't know. 
there is there, I don't believe there is a thing as as long as 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 long as we make it through the end, we're good. <laughs> as long as we survive. The word okay. Um, I wanted to go to well. I'm I'm curious to know why, and and uh, this is kind of a big. This is a big. There's a lot of ingredients. I'm going to see what you can make with it. Okay. Golf and watches both seem to have an incredible need or magnetism, mag, magneticism to icon mm. and iconography. Yeah. And I'm, I'm. Do you have you looked at or wondered why that is? What do they share in common? Why do we have that? Well, you know, it, with golf, you've got courses. Of course, you've got memories of events, and they're yeah. both very historical. Yeah. And they and they share a lot that I'd like to I'd like to understand what they share aside from the sub in the pro shop, right? Because that's not it for me, and right. I know that's not because I don't gel. Yeah, you know, I, I've, to be to be totally transparent, I've never thought about this, but I think good. Yeah, <laughs> you're, that's you're why I'm here. Pushing me here. <laughs> um, you know, the, the idea that something is completely superfluous in life like truly superfluous like totally unnecessary i you know my, my phone which is right here tells much better time than the omega that i'm wearing you know <laughs> golf is that i mean golf golf takes up your entire fucking day especially if you live in new york that takes up like a day and a half you it's know like eight hours it really does uh but it is so rewarding in its purity and it's kind of like in its nod to to yesteryear and i think watches are very much the same way it's like nobody needs this stuff i'm the first person to admit that but the way that it makes you feel and the way that it inspires thoughts of yesteryear is, is really remarkable and i think that they're similar in that way but i think first and foremost like these are these are truly like pleasure filled passions these are things that you do for pleasure and i think that's really it can be really rewarding you know, and I think there's so many things in life that like you have to do. And these are things that like you want to do. And I think that that's that's probably where they, they share the most uh, is that they both are things that like you really have to dedicate time towards. And you really, you know, you really have to love. Tiger's watch. <laughs> yes. Is is it really just the deep sea? Hang on. Wait, actually, no, hang on. I need to ask you this again. OK. OK, here we go. I'm going to do this right. Sorry, everybody. I'm not recording video like I said, but now we are. So, Tiger's watch. Tiger Woods. It, it Tiger Woods. Yeah. It's actually it's just a very simply a deep sea. I I believe that is the case. I don't know for sure that it's the case, but Rolex is tricky. Rolex doesn't do that much special stuff no matter who you are. And that's why Rolex is Rolex. So like Federer wears a normal Rolex. I believe that Tiger also wears a normal Rolex. Other brands, lesser brands would say, "Hey Tiger Woods, you're you're Tiger Woods. What do you want? We'll make anything." You know? Uh, I've heard Tiger is not a super deep watch guy. There are other players that are that are much deeper than he. Uh, so I believe it is just a standard deep sea. Yeah, it was funny because I posted it because when he won the Zozo, um, he had this incredible move where he got the the watches obviously sitting on the cart. Yeah. Rolex obviously pays him. Sure. Yeah. Have you tried to consider how much Rolex pays him? Uh, I've I've never thought. I mean, I've never asked anybody. They they certainly wouldn't tell me. <laughs> uh, my guess is that it's actually not as much as you would think. I know what other brands pay other people. Like I have an idea of what like Audemars Piguet pays Serena. Can you? I probably can't, but it's not that much. That's I mean, it's fine. like it's more about product than it is about money. It's about the, the brand elevation. So elevation, like, yeah. Exactly. So Rolex, I mean, even to people that don't give a shit about watches, like Rolex is a really impressive, powerful brand. You know, they are everywhere. They, they sponsor the Oscars, for God's sakes, you know? Yeah, um, true. So I think these guys, if you're a Federer, an Adam Scott, who's a Rolex ambassador, a Tiger, like this is a brand you just want to be associated with. 
so I, I don't think, hey, look, I mean, I'm sure it's obviously more than you and I will make in a long time, but like, it's, <laughs> it's not like, you know, fuck you amount of money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I was shocked because, you know, he, he sort of has this watch sitting on the, the seat of the golf cart after coming off the 18th green after yeah. winning his 82nd tournament. Sure. And he grabs the watch and he kind of has this, I don't, he has this move where he, where he, where he, where he, you know, the Rolex is nice and, and the Tudor is nice. I, I love the watches where the band is always a circle mm-hmm. and it's got this like snap closure. Totally. And, uh, and he kind of flips it around. And then, classic move. What classic is this? Tiger. What is this move? <laughs> it's, it's not actually a move. You know, it's. Uh, you, have you seen it before? I, I have. I mean, I've seen Tiger do it before. You have uh, seen uh, it? No, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you, it's just like the the wonderful thing. I, I've heard from folks that that know him, and I, I don't know him to be clear. Uh, that he wears that watch everywhere he goes. So oh, yeah. when he goes, you know, he goes. Apparently, he's a diver. Like he really goes diving, and he loves deep sea fishing. Exactly. So he wears this watch everywhere, just like Nicholas wore that watch swimming with Barracuda, like fishing, going, which is like a gold dress watch. Like that, yeah. that, that's a whole other story. But yeah, Tiger really loves this thing, and I and I really love that about him, and that he's just like, yeah, I don't care, man. Like it's just a watch. I'm just gonna wear it. Like it's what I have to do. Uh, whereas a lot of other guys are really precious about their things. Uh, the the younger players are more precious about things. Yeah, I mean, uh, Ricky watch is about an $85,000 platinum Daytona. Mm. Justin Thomas has like a white gold yacht master. Yeah. Uh, Bo Hosser's got a bunch. And and what's funny is Tiger's watches. I was shocked. Yeah. 13 grand. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where Rolex and, and most brands want these guys to be wearing things that are commercially available. Right. So you can walk into the store and buy right. it. And it's not, you know, platinum Daytona. Yeah. They're out there, but it's a $75,000 watch, you know? So like when you see Fetter, you know, hoisting a trophy wherever, it's usually like a very simple watch. Uh, occasionally, he'll do something really neat, and I've, I've, you know, I'm a big Federer fan because how can you not be? Uh, I've, I follow what he does with watches often, and, and he actually has a vintage Daytona that Rolex gave him, uh, I think, for his thirtieth birthday or thirty fifth birthday, uh, and it was from the year that he was that he was born. So it's a vintage Daytona, which is kind of like a real like nod to the nerds out there. Uh, so to see Federer wearing a watch like that was was pretty cool. You know, you you must have a way of you, you know you you have an encyclopedic brain of golf. I'm sorry, of watch knowledge. Definitely not golf knowledge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but you know you, you you probably think in watch, right? You, you probably see things and they remind you of watches, or, yeah. or you see something and yeah, for say, better or worse. You know what I mean? Like like you have a language in your head. Yeah. Does that ever? translate to golf do you ever go to golf and say mm, that reminds me of this or or my you know because i was what i was thinking of when i was beginning to figure out the question as yeah. i opened my mouth was your golf bag yeah right your golf bag is very personal to you you make many many decisions on what goes inside it mm-hmm. most of them are utilitarian but yeah. some of them are not what's your golf bag like golf bag is pretty basic i mean it's a black titleist bag uh that i bought last year and you you don't edit this right Zero editing. Okay, so I won't tell you why I bought this particular golf bag. I can pause it really quick so I can get context. Okay. Hang on, everybody. Well, we didn't pause. That was close. All right. Well, that that's <laughs> I res- that's embarrassing. Yeah. So much more respect. Okay. Uh, the the golf bag didn't fit in places that you needed to fit in. It didn't fit in my car. It didn't fit. In my, <laughs> we can say that it didn't fit in my car. And it wasn't a big bag. It wasn't like a tour bag. Uh, so I just needed to buy the slimmest possible bag without going into like the micro bag category right. or the Sunday bag category. Um, so I, I bought this black Titleist bag that's as small as they make. And that's it. 
that's my bag. That's what it looks like. And then, you know, I've got the, these Callaway irons, which I really love. Like, I, for whatever reason, I was never in the Callaway mindset. I don't know. Even at, even when I played in high school, I just, like, it wasn't my thing. This is when, like, when Big Berthas were, like, the hottest thing in the world, you know? Sure. Well, let's um, move away from equipment. Um, what You meet Jack, and are you, like, wh- where are you at with that moment? I mean, this is a moment that I have not had that... Yeah. that that a lot of people within the golf industry have not had and will yeah. never have. Yeah. Are you like, are you able to process the reality? Not until after, not until after, um, you know, you, you meet guys like that every now and then. And it's just such, again, I wasn't really able to process what was going on until afterwards. And you know, when, when I met him, he wasn't prickly in any way. He was very nice. But then when we sat down and started talking and he realized that like, I really cared about golf. This wasn't like a watch thing. Like I loved golf and you know, granted I wasn't playing as much when, when I saw him, uh, he could tell that I was like one of his guys, you know? And then he really opened up and then he told me some amazing stories that were kind of off the record. And you know, I asked him, you know, what it was like to do X, Y, and Z. And then as soon as we finished filming in his kind of like game room, I guess you would call it, went into his office and saw all the trophies and saw the pictures of him with every president for the past 40 years, you know, and just things like that. You realize like, holy shit, like I just met the best guy at a very important thing. And anytime you meet somebody that is just the very best at anything, you have to sit back and kind of ponder what what that's like for him. You know, just being, you know, when Tiger Woods was the best, he was the best. When Jack was there and still is, I mean, he's the all-time greatest. And you don't meet people like that very often. And when you do, you really have to consider what that means and what that took for them to get there. And Jack was amazing. I mean, he was just incredible. He also has, and I don't know if this is public knowledge or not, he has two grass tennis courts at his house. The only grass tennis course in Southern Florida, he has the Williams sisters come over and they practice there for Wimbledon every year, which is like the coolest thing you've ever heard or live I've, I've ever heard in my life. That's so baller. That's just like, that's <laughs> so just like, baller. Does he play tennis? Uh, he, he likes tennis. Uh, you know, I think he's, you know, he's, he's older now, so I don't think he plays quite as much. But what's, he, his, what's his house like? Uh, so he's been in this house. Uh, his wife was there. Been in this house since I think 1972 or 73. Uh, so, I mean, it's his like family home, large on the water. Um, but you know, it, it feels like a real home. This isn't like, you know, you go to some of these like McMansions and stuff and it's like, this is like just a shell of a life. This guy, this is his home. There's no question about it. Like you can tell his kids grew up there and like dogs running around, etc. There is a putting green, of course. Uh, it's, it's pretty wonderful. I mean, in, in many ways, and, and I hope if he, if he hears this, he wouldn't take offense to this, but it feels like your grandparents home. Like, you know, and like he is a grandparent, you know? Yeah. He's an Ohio guy. Exactly. He's an Ohio guy. And what's amazing about him is. He describes himself as a jock and he used to play basketball and he like, he just likes being around athletes and competitors, which is really funny because like from, from my purview, like I don't really, even though I know golfers are really competitive guys. Um, yeah, I just, I just never thought of him as that kind of like alpha male, like I'm going to go kill you type of guy, but he, he is, he's a real competitor and it makes sense when you think about it. But the experience was, was, was just amazing. It really was. Um, so we're going to wind down here, but, uh, in, in kind of like the closing thoughts, you know, w- when you, when you think about golf, what do you get from golf? And, and I'm curious to know yeah. if there's some type of puzzle aspect to, you know, cause watches are literally more valuable, the more complicated they are. They can be. Yeah. And that's similar to golf in some ways. Yep. Is there, why do you think we have that uh, placement of value? 
Yeah, you know, I mean, for, for me, golf is is a totally different thing now than it ever was before. And what it is now is because work is so crazy all the time. It different is thing now for you, for golf. me, right? For me, exactly. So, I, mean, I only care about myself here. Let's be honest. You know, <laughs> that's not uh, true. Uh, uh, so, for me, it's a way to step away from all this. And what I started doing this year for the first time in my life, truly, I started playing golf by myself. Uh, and I had never done that before in high school or anything. I was always waiting for friends or my dad or, you know, somebody to, to kind of mess around with. And now I love playing by myself. First of all, because super fast. Second of all, you can do whatever you want to do. So you can work on stuff. You can practice stuff. And it allows me to just shut off completely. And I don't bring my phone. I leave it in the locker. And I just do my thing. Uh, and it is the most rewarding thing that I could possibly do. And I started taking, I, I'm looking at all of my coworkers out there and I hope I'm, they certainly will hear this, but I started taking Fridays off over the summer and I would go out and play golf by myself. And it was just an amazing experience. And I hope to do it again next summer. That's kind of the, uh, Bill Gates model, right? Is, is he does, he does the week off with a bunch of books and no phone. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. What if is is that the most rejuvenating thing that you found, or is there something else? Uh, in in recent times, you know, because like I I like to challenge myself. I like you know, even with watches, like I wanted to learn everything about it, you know, and then I wanted to create a business that that like was 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 scalable but also beautiful. And so like golf to me is an amazing challenge. It it is it is rejuvenating, but it's also like it really pushes me. And like when I have a bad round, all I want to do is get back out there and figure out why I you know why I shot or whatever. What what uh, is that about you? Why why is that? I don't. I, I mean. Is that you or is that every golfer? Because it's not, it's not every golfer. It's not every golfer. Um, I, I want to play well. There's no question about it. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not a nut about it. Like, I don't care. Like, I, I, don't, I don't play competitively, even though, like, I played in, like, my club championship or whatever. But I don't play competitively. Like, I go out there to have fun. But I still, just for my own interests, like, I want to know that I'm doing things well. And that's just how I am with, with kind of everything in life. You know, I want to know that, like, when I'm writing something, like, this is, this is quality prose. When I'm taking a picture, like, this is being framed the, the right way. I just want to make sure that everything I do is done to a certain standard. And that's just who I am. Most ingre most important ingredient that you have found uh, for your success uh, in golf or elsewhere? Uh, not golf. Uh, in your you business, know, I think it's like Conan O'Brien said this when he was going through the whole thing with with Jay Leno and all that. And basically, it was this idea that like if you put your head down, work hard, and are nice to people, you get you'll get pretty far. And that's basically how I live my life. It's just like I'm doing my thing. I don't look at anybody else. Like you know, I don't look at any competitors if there even are any in this space. I just I'm just respectful of, of everybody's time and everybody's interest, and realize that there were several people that came before me in this space. There will there will be several people that come after me, and I want people to think of me as as a friend and as somebody that that did good for whatever industry I'm working in or whatever space I'm, I'm participating in. But I think you know, being gracious and, and respectful of, of, of everyone is, is first and foremost how I, how I do things. I apologize if this offends anybody. It's not, it's not meant to, um, but uh, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm a patriot. I love America, right? Sure. Uh, and, I, and I have a lot of feelings about, for example, last night, I was expecting to board the plane first because that's what I do right. as the top level Obviously. frequent flyer. And then they said uniformed military service members and and every once in a while one comes up yeah and last night 50 got on mm -hmm. with bags and i looked at all their faces they're so young and i have a lot of respect right so what i'm saying is nothing to do with that it's a cultural thing about america what you just said put your head down work hard and be nice to people that doesn't sound very american <laughs> and i just wanted to ask you if you've traveled the i not i know you've traveled the yeah. world 
But 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 when you think about culture and the success of your business, capitalism to some extent, sure, we're dealing with a high end luxury item that yeah. is that that transcends any country. It goes all over the world. Mm-hmm. Where does that come from? Uh, that, that's a really good question. I mean, I think to a certain degree, my, my upbringing, my parents, and, and like I said, I come from a very, very normal middle-class family in, in Rochester, New York. You know, this is not Long Island. This is not Westchester. You know, this is Rochester. This is six hours away from here, closer to Canada than New York City. And I think that is just how kind of people were up there, you know? And I think also the idea that like, you know, who am I? I'm, I'm nobody. I'm the, this kid from upstate New York. Like, you know, the, the fact that I've got all these guys and gals out here, you know, working with me is, is I'm shocked every day. I'm, I'm super grateful for it. And I think you, you never want to take anything that you've achieved for granted and realize that it can all go away tomorrow. And that, like, if you have the trust of 50 people to, to, to keep food on their tables, et cetera, and, and you know, kind of guide them towards a, a healthy life, that you, you, you take that seriously. Uh, and so, you know, I, I don't know where it came from. And it, in many ways, I think it is American. In other ways, it's not. It's just it's just kind of who I am and who I've always been. Um, realize that maybe I'm wrong, and I and I just want to correct that. When, when you talked about Rochester, I realized I thought of Norman Rockwell, and I realized that actually those are attributes of an American. And, and it's and it's not a. I feel silly saying the word American, but it's it's just sort of like I've observed that the golf world in America is very different. All right, two yeah. more questions. Yes. The first one is, um, please be as honest as you can. Okay. And tell me what the hardest part of all of this is. All of this being work or yeah, all this work? Uh, well, th- th- I mean, th- there's a few answers that like will mean absolutely nothing to your to your readership. But I mean, basically, th- this idea of like convincing the most legacy of any industry is that the internet is a thing is actually the most <laughs> difficult part of my day every fucking day. You know, it's just like I mean, there, there were and this is not an exaggeration, and this is actually not that interesting, but I'll say it anyway. There were there were folks that were leaders of the biggest Swiss brands you can imagine you know not rolex or mega anybody like that but you know on on par that would said very recently that the internet is for poor people like that's a statement wow it said within the past say six years and so when you're dealing with people like that that are basically calling the shots like running the show in the entire industry you're just like huh like first of all like, we know that that's not true like that's just like <laughs> patently not true uh but like we're trying to fight against that type of thinking from from some european counterparts so, I mean, that that is a, still a struggle to this day of just, like, kind of navigating this thing as a real outsider. Like, I'm an American, first of all. We are an American company. I don't speak French. You know, the industry is completely done in French. The whole thing it takes place in French. So, I mean, you're, you were just this, like, institutional outsider from day one. You could come off as French. I appreciate you, you look, Do you, I appreciate yeah. that? Yeah, and I appreciate no, that. No, French are very handsome. Man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, you're a handsome um, So, you know, it's this idea of being an outsider. But I think, again, that's why we were successful. That's why we can kind of ignite this base of guys that are just like, hey, like, I'm not fancy. I'm not French. Like, I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know. Like, you know, the, the, the first time somebody might see Audemars Piguet, which is a very high-end watch brand, they might pronounce it, you know, Audemars Piaget, which is another watch brand. Like, it happens all the time with some very wealthy people, you know? And so we are just that kind of like nerdy friend around the corner that like knows a little bit more than you do and like wants to steer you in the right direction. Whereas I think so much of this industry and other luxury industries are not about that at all. It's about like making people feel better than other people. And that's not what we're about at all. Okay. Um, last question. And if you answer this really well, I'm actually going to delete it and use it. <laughs> uh, you, I miss, do you consider yourself an innovator? Uh, I, yeah, I do. You know, I'm working on like, you know, accepting my own success, you know, less of the imposter syndrome type of thing. I think in some ways we, we've innovated the way there's a few things. I think, you know, the watch world 
really easy to innovate in, frankly. You know, I mean, th this world, we're talking about stuff that were made the same way 200 years ago. Um, so I think in that space, for sure. That, that would make me think it's not easy to innovate well, in. Well, I mean, so like, we're not making watches, so we're not like changing the product, obviously, but the way that we're communicating about them and the way that we're targeting people is, is, is definitely innovative, I think, in that like we're not going for this rich bitch attitude. Like This is not champagne and caviar. This is like Air Maxes and an iPad. You know, and I think that's how people are consuming luxury today. And uh, so I, I think that way Hodinkee is innovative for sure. Well, and personal note, that wasn't actually my last question, but personal note, I want to thank you for having those values because after I bought my the watch I'm wearing right now, the Tudor, I you posted the Timex Q. Yeah, great watch. Luckily, I saw it within 30 minutes yep. and before it sold out. Yeah, amazing watch. And um, I was pissed when my girlfriend said she liked it better than my tutor because it's $180. Sounds about right. Sounds about right. But that's what's cool. And that's what I'm saying is like, if you're listening to this and you're like, maybe I'm going to get into watches, that's it's that you're not saying to the world or to yourself, maybe I'm going to go blow some money. No, of course not. What you're saying is maybe I'm going to learn about something and have something to talk about with someone else. Yeah. There's no question. And I think like, you know, when you take the subway and you meet a guy or see a guy wearing a watch like that or, or anything that's kind of interesting, it's an instant friendship. And I mean, really, you know, and so it's really different if I see somebody wearing, say, that Tudor Black Bay GMT versus a Pepsi GMT Rolex. That guy that's wearing the, the Rolex, like there's a chance that we could be friends. You're, for not sure. gonna, you're not going to say something to the Rolex. Probably not. But to the Tudor, what would you say? I was just like, hey, like, that's a really great watch. I mean, it doesn't have to be any more complex than that. It's just like, you and know, you'd be you, like, thank you, Ben. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, <laughs> thanks, bro. <laughs> How often do you get recognized? Uh, yeah, often. You know. Probably, especially around this neighborhood. Yeah, in this, I mean, in, in, in major urban cities. Airports. Know, yeah, airports. A lot, a lot on the plane, yeah. I bet. Yes, uh, yes. And what's funny is a lot of pilots and a lot of like stewards and stewardesses oftentimes wearing a watch similar to that uh, will we'll recognize us. For whatever reason, pilots just love watch. I mean, it makes sense. Pilots love watches. Well, I mean, they're, pilots are literally like in at the helm of the most complicated watch <laughs> on earth. Indeed. Indeed. Okay. The, the question I was getting at as far as innovation was, to bring it back to golf, your experience, you know, my dad always told me that to be truly creative, you have to basically uh, transcend your industry. And so a chef that would then go into becoming a DJ or something like that yeah. would basically be able to actually innovate. So can you just think about, you know, you love golf, you know the golf industry, you know the golf world. What do you think, do, do you have thoughts around it? Like, I'm oh not going to say, what could we do to grow the game? Because yeah. that's not my question. But sure. it's like, do you have thoughts around what, what needs to happen? Th there's a lot. And, you know, in, in many ways, I love golf the same way that I love watches, and they remind me of each other so dramatically. It's like, it's kind of scary. And, you know, in the same way that, like, this is kind of, you know, 10 years ago, if I were wearing or if you were wearing that watch around Soho, that watch wasn't out yet, but um, if, so, if you were wearing that watch around Soho, like, nobody would give a shit. Like, just people would not care. And so there's a restaurant up here called St. Ambrose, which is kind of like a cool kid restaurant. And you go in there, and... And I used to go in there or the one in the West Village and nobody cared when I was wearing a Rolex or a Patek or anything. Now I go in there and even people that don't know me or the site, they'll say, oh, where, where'd you get that Nautilus? And they're like, and I'm like, you, you know what a Nautilus is? Like, you, you know what this is? And so the, the idea that like watches are a thing that is socially acceptable to like young and emergingly affluent folks in New York is, is really new and really fresh. And golf, and I've spoken a lot about this with, with Adam Scott. We have this idea that like, 
golf needs that right now. They need some cool kids like yourself to get out there and say, like, hey, like this is a cool thing. And like the fact that Steph Curry is a player and Justin Timberlake and like all that goes a long way. But there needs to be a platform for it that that allows it to to be taken more mainstream. And I think that is what this industry needs is, is a is a voice and you are chief among them currently for sure to, to, to kind of take this into the real world. And like the whole idea of like, you know, first of all, the, the fashion needs to change. Like the clothes just got, that, that's, that's gotta go away. You know? Working on it. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's so much out there that like just needs to be, needs to change. And like the, co- you know, I, you know, I know the guys obviously at my course up, upstate and this is not winged foot. It's a great course, but it's not anything like that. And they're just like, well, how do you like, you know, how come more of your friends don't join? And I'm like, well, like it's expensive. You know, like it's far away and it's just like, it takes all day. You know what I mean? And like, they, like the guys just don't understand that. But I, it, you know, watches and golf appeal to pretty much the same user base at, at, that scale. And I just think this, this idea of like taking it away from this really pretentious, really off-putting, like exclusive attitude and making it inclusive at scale is, is what needs to be done. I think we've done a good job with that in, in watches. And I really hope that, that you will continue to do that in, in golf for sure. Thank you so much for your time, Ben. It's been a pleasure. Uh, make sure you definitely go check out uh, the Jack Nicholas Hodinkee episode. Hodinkee, if you uh, aren't reading it on the screen, is H-O-D-I-N-K-E-E. Uh, and you don't need to have a watch to get into this stuff because it's really interesting just to hear people talk about things. And you're a good yeah. talker, and I appreciate your time. I appreciate that. Thanks. Have a good week, everybody. <laughs>